Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana, and we're here today for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And our guest is someone I've known for quite a while, it's Tommy Williams. So Tommy, thanks so much for being here, really appreciate it. Glad to be here, appreciate you asking me. Absolutely, so let's get into the world of Tommy. Um, we'll get to We'll get to more of your accomplishments and background and future questions, but let's start here today. You were born and raised in Shreveport. I was. And have seen Shreveport go through many changes and many ups and downs. I have. So my question is, how is Shreveport Bossier doing in 2023 from Tommy's perspective? Well, I have a renewed hope right now. Um, I'm excited to see uh, Tom Arsenault uh, be elected mayor. Uh, I, I listened to Tom speak to Downtown Rotary recently, and uh, I think that Tom is the right person at the right time with the right vision. Uh, I was most excited to hear him give credit to everyone around him and the team around him, both existing employees uh, that are there now, and um, maybe more important than that, uh, he looked in the audience and saw a lot of uh, 45 and younger uh, uh, Rotarians and uh, said that his intention was to, uh, and I'm not speaking for him, but his intention was to build a foundation uh, over the next four years that could be turned over to this bright younger generation. And uh, I thought that was uh, well said and a breath of fresh air for uh, for this city and so um, I'm pretty enthused about that great and you're you're an active community leader and have have served on numerous boards including uh, there's no way I could cover it all but including <laughs> to name but a few president of the financial planning association architects chapter if I get any of this wrong just hop mm -hmm. in Chairman of the Allocations Committee for United Way of North Louisiana, mm -hmm. co-chairman of the Fundraising Campaign for Community Renewal International, mm -hmm. a board member of Live Oak Retirement Community, mm -hmm. a board member and chairman of the Membership Committee for the Committee of 100, mm -hmm. and for nine years you chaired the Junior Achievement of North Louisiana Business Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. My question is, where does this intense interest and commitment to making our community better come from? Well, my father was a postal worker, which is a fundamentally a blue-collar uh, position, and uh, my mother was a seamstress and a housemaker, and um, neither went to college, but yet my father had 50 years of perfect attendance in the Kiwanis Club. Uh, mother and daddy uh, were uh, in the Methodist Church, uh, married at Noel Methodist in 1939. They, uh, you know, ran the Boy Scout troops, the Girl Scout troops, coached uh, the the hardball teams, uh, taught Sunday school, and and uh, so though we grew up in uh, what would fundamentally be a, uh, uh, I think a, a lower middle class blue collar family, which everybody around me was at the time. Uh, not, they were involved in the community in, uh, in really impactful ways. I didn't realize it at the time. I simply 
thought everybody else was having more fun than I was. <laughs> but, but I think uh, watching my mother and daddy and what they did uh, led me into a belief that uh, you need to be involved. And um, it certainly uh, uh, has been rewarding for me. And I'll have to say, uh, you know, like I guess the old saying is, the more you give, the more you get back. And uh, this community's certainly been good to me. And where do you think they they learned that from? I mean, your parents. Where do you think they got that <laughs> that sense of service from? Well, they certainly didn't get it from their parents uh, because they both came from very uh, uh, difficult circumstances. But they grew up in the depression, and uh, you know it was like if, you know, son, remember you got a roof over your head and you got a place to be, and uh, you know you hadn't missed any meals and you won't miss any as long as daddy delivers the mail, and and uh, so. I think they just uh, grew up in a difficult time, and uh, and you know America was in a you know the, Daddy went off to the war, came back, and it was the post-industrial, post-war industrial era, and uh, they were part of that building. And I think that you know I don't think they were that unusual. Uh, that that you know they call it the greatest generation, and that's you know that's not a, a misnomer. Uh, they were just hardworking people, and. Uh, but they were f for uh, the uh, education level and the type of occupations. Uh, I, in retrospect, they were extraordinarily involved, and uh, uh, I think it just came from uh, living in hard times and 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 wanting to uh, to contribute as they began to uh, eat three meals a day and have a roof over their head. You talked about this a little bit in, in reference to Mayor Arsenault. Uh, my question is, from your perspective, how do we get more people from my generation, or even, and I'm 49, just to place me, mm -hmm. or even the generations coming behind me to take an active role like you have in pushing our community to reach its fullest potential? Well, it's no secret that uh civic life, civic organizations um, uh, are, are not uh, as uh, vibrant and active as they were, uh, you know, in, 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 my, in the heart of my career. And um, uh, there doesn't seem to be as much involvement from, uh, the, uh, from your generation, as, as you put it. And uh, I, I think that a lot of that has to do with technology and the communication and uh, a general, you know, deterioration of communities, not just Shreveport, but, uh, you know, uh, nationally. And, um, you know, how do you get people involved? Well, um, uh, you know, I, I think that it was just the thing to do back in our generation and, uh, and now, uh, you know, we've culturally changed, and uh, there are efforts uh, right now that uh, in, in this community and around the country to uh, try to bring people back to the center and uh, try to gain more community. And, uh, you know, to put it very simply, uh, try to develop a community of caring. You know, if we all care for one another, then, uh, uh, then trying to solve some of these uh, issues becomes uh, uh, easier you know you tend if you're friends with people you tend to care for them and you tend to uh, uh, be more involved in their lives and so uh, I think that you know we've come to a period where relationships have deteriorated 
you know, like I'm rushing to get here and I call you from my car because I have your uh, uh, Los Angeles number <laughs> that you call me on my cell phone and I call you and say, I'm coming, Jeffrey, and, and uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, 30 years ago I would have, uh, maybe I wouldn't have uh, been running late, <laughs> but, but you know, perhaps I would have had to stop at a payphone or, or, uh, or just showed up late or, you know, I don't know. But anyway, the, the, we're in a different era now, and I think the, uh, it has caused a deterioration of relationships and um, of, of the closeness of relationships that existed years ago. And um, uh, I believe that that, I don't think it's the, that your generation, as you call it, I don't think it's because of, uh, of laziness or an I don't care uh, attitude. Uh, I think it's just a sign of, uh, of the times of the, in which uh, you grow up as opposed to the sign of the times, you know, when, when, when I grew up. So uh, that's not a very precise answer to, uh, to the question of how do you get people involved. Uh, I think when we experience enough pain as individuals, as humans, we tend to change. Until we experience enough pain, uh, whether it's some personal issue or some societal issue, we don't tend to change. And I don't think we've hit that pain point yet. And, uh, and, and when we do, I think people will band together and, uh, and say, hey, how do we, how do we solve this? And uh, I actually think uh, the baby boomers, whereas uh, you know those of us born between 1946 and 1964, um, the, we created more wealth than any uh, than, than any uh, generation in history. But we also made a pretty big mess of things in a whole lot of ways. Uh, created some great music, you know, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones. I mean, that's you can't top that. But uh, we've, we've made a mess of things, but uh, uh, as you well know from your efforts and being in the community, uh, there are a lot of really smart people doing some very diligent work to try to uh, right this ship. And uh, I think that your generation will, uh, uh, will have some uh, role models and some, uh, some paths to follow uh, to uh, uh, to get involved, but it may not look like uh, Rotary 50 years ago or the Committee of 100 or, or, or some of the institutions and organizations uh, in, in which I've been involved. It's interesting to hear you. I mean, you did present a solution, but it's interesting to hear you talk about pain points or um, you have to get to a certain event or something has to occur. I mean, I think about you know the unity you see around whether it's a hurricane uh, Katrina or Rita or 9-11, I mean, sure. you see these events occur and, and people really, it activates and, mm -hmm. and galvanizes people. Yeah, for about three weeks we're all uh, brothers and sisters and then we, uh, you know, uh, regretfully uh, fall back into our patterns. And But uh, you could tell the spark is, it, spark is, is in us to want to be together. And, uh, you know, I think that fundamentally uh, there is a good spark in all of us, every one of us, and uh, but uh, you know it's there's a lot of distractions out there, and uh, uh, we can easily lose our focus. And then it's suddenly like 9/11 is a great example when you see uh, 
uh, 100 senators and uh, I don't know 435, however many congressmen there are, all get out together and and shoulder to shoulder show the world that we stand as one. And and uh, so uh, it's a shame that it takes things like that to bring us together. But uh, you know we're all human, and that's that's uh, that's part of the process. So let's let's get into a little bit more of um, your your specific profession and area of expertise. Um, again, if I get any of this wrong, please uh, correct it. Um, you are a wealth advisor and founder of Williams Financial Advisors. Every Sunday since 2009, you have authored a column on the front page of the business section of the Shreveport Times entitled Financial Fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You are a great financial mind in this community and a wealth of knowledge. Would you mind sharing just a few of your financial fundamentals or financial words of wisdom? Well, (laughs) first of all, uh, I have one client, uh, and you're looking at him right now. Uh, I manage my own uh, investments. Uh, I was uh, fortunate. over a period of about uh, six years uh, to sell my firm or the majority of it to a group in Birmingham that have become very good partners. And then a couple of years ago, uh, some of the guys that were in my firm, uh, junior partners, uh, I guess, uh, bought the remaining interest in it. And uh, so uh, I I don't have an office at Bell Mead as I once did. I have an office at home, and uh, I'm still very actively involved. I'm still licensed with the firm. I still uh, am supportive, and I have old client relationships, and you know those old relationships are are, are more than just uh, business. And so I get calls now and then, but I, I don't have any day-to-day responsibilities, uh, which is really really pretty fortunate, and it has worked out uh, much better than I deserved, probably. Uh, as far as investment advice, uh, what I do for myself and what I did for my clients, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's very, very different. Uh, I uh, mostly I- invest in individual stocks, that uh, high dividend paying stocks. I'm, I'm always, if, if you read any of my stuff, I'm forever looking for uh, the market to go down so I can buy things cheaply and, and, uh, and, uh, and I've had some success at that because uh, during COVID the market dropped and I happened to just be lucky and have some cash and and I got a little bit of cash right now and I've got a watch list of stocks that I'm that I'm looking for but uh, when I my practice was managing clients serious nest egg money and um, the uh, you know and, and of course mine is, is, is my serious nest egg money but uh, whenever you're managing someone's life savings, you tend to be extremely conservative. And I'm a little more aggressive, personally. And, um, but I, also, I, I do have some um, um, guaranteed stuff and some very conservative stuff that I can fall back on. I, I have Social Security that I hope you'll keep, keep contributing to and, uh, so that it will continue. And I just went on Medicare uh, January the 1st. And so, um, you know, I, I have some, some, uh, things that I rely on, but, um, and you're still writing your column, right? 
Yep, wrote. Uh, it'll be in the paper this Sunday. And uh, anyway, uh, so for people people who are really young, like Ellen, um, who are just starting kind of on their financial journey, what are what are just you know two or three just nuggets that you know I, I just want to start kind of stabilizing my financial situation. Me too. At my age, um, what are just some just high-level pieces of advice you could offer? Well, the main thing, uh, I mean, and and this is high-level, I think, of the response to what you're looking for, uh, you know, uh, stay out of credit card debt. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, I've run across that a lot, where people are paying 24% interest or something, and then they end up a year or two later, they owe more than they started out uh, borrowing. and just consistently investing over time. I mean, even Warren Buffett, who's probably the most famous uh, investor in America, uh, most well-known anyway, uh, even his, uh, uh, at 90-something, he still says, you know, uh, time in the market is a whole lot more important than timing the market. And so, uh, you know, small and consistent investing over time and, you know, with 401ks and things like that, where you can do it on a pre-tax basis. Uh, and then companies match, you know, for those people who work for companies that have a 401k. Uh, you know, doing those kind of small, uh, consistent, and, and then, you you know, your car breaks down and you or whatever. You see a new car or you want to go to Hawaii or whatever people do. Um, you know, want to buy a Harley. Uh go to the Led Zeppelin concert, you know, whatever distraction there is out there, you know, you say, well, we're not touching that, you know, and uh, that is is a sacred uh, box that we don't get into. And you just keep uh, compounding that in there and, it's, and, and, you know, doing monthly investments, especially if there's a match. If it's 25%, that's a 20, guaranteed 25% rate of return, tax-free or tax-deferred, tax-free when you make it. But and um, uh, if a person does that for a long period of time, uh, they're going to be uh, very uh, well set, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And most of the people that were clients of mine and most of the people that I know that are financially sound, that's what they did. You know, I know of some stories of people who, you know, created something, invented something, uh, inherited something or you know, uh, Hainsville Shell or uh, any number of, of ways that people uh, uh, either stumbled into or were, were gifted uh, large sums of money. But uh, by far, the mo- most people who are financially stable did it little bits at a time consistently and uh, kept their focus, were uh, uh, frugal and uh, disciplined and they woke up one day and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. And, you know, they even wrote a book, The Millionaire Next Door. I think Thomas Stanley wrote that book several years ago. And, uh, oh, my gosh, you know, I got all this money. And then they start, uh, you know, typically uh, because they're frugal, they won't spend it. And they start giving it away. <laughs> and uh, But uh, what a wonderful American story. Absolutely. That's great advice. That's exactly what I wanted. Thank you. So my next two questions, my final two questions are more general, just globally, uh, you looking around this community. So 
the first question is simply what's holding us back in your opinion from becoming one of the next great small cities in America well Shreveport is very interesting uh, you know, as you suggested I did grow up here I, I, I went off to Louisiana Tech I moved to Houston with Texas Eastern Pipeline uh, I worked overseas with a geophysical company Penry Geophysical came back with Crystal Oil Company in 1986, the oil industry collapsed, and I was uh, making 205 a week on unemployment, and was inspired, and uh, struck off. Uh, I didn't see any history, any future in the oil business, uh, which was really uh, a, a lack of foresight on my part. But, but uh, the, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I went into uh, the the investment business, as you suggested, and. Um, so I've seen, I, I, I'm from here, uh, like you, I know you went to Los Angeles once and, and, uh, and then came back and, and, and I came back and, and found some measure of success in this community. So I've, I've, I've seen it from really kind of two different sides. Uh, you know, I, once, you know, I lived in Queensboro, lived in Blanchard, and before that out in the woods. And then we hit the hit the big time and moved into a rent house in Queensboro, and now I live in Southern Trace. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've observed uh, Shreveport has a uh, there's a term called Shreveportitis that you've heard. It's a uh, bit of an inferiority complex, and it only is inflicted upon people like uh, myself that have been here all the time. Uh, I have friends that move here from Atlanta, from Dallas, from Tulsa, from other places, some from, from Europe even, and they love Shreveport. And they talk about the hospitality and the food, and, and you, know, you can get anywhere in 20 minutes. And uh, what a wonderful place this is. And, uh, and then the rest of us sit around and, and, uh, and complain and whine and carry on. But it's just sort of ingrained in our, in our culture. Uh, you know, to, uh, to do that. But, um, you know, underneath that veneer of whining and complaining, there are, Shreveport is an incredibly philanthropic, incredibly generous community, as, as you su- suggested in the opening. I've been involved in a lot of fundraising activities. It is absolutely amazing for a community this size to see the amount of generosity uh, from churches, civic groups, uh, individuals, uh, you know, when there's an issue and, you know, that, that, that's legitimate and you can make a case for it, uh, it's amazing who steps forward and, uh, and, and contributes both their time and their money. So um, Shreveport has, uh, where, you know, you listen to the economic development guys, you know, and you've got you know, we're strategically located, you know, between Dallas and Atlanta and, and uh, you know, the river and and uh, where we're just, uh, there's just so many things that the healthcare industry, we've got Barksdale and, uh, and, and so you can get really excited about uh, the assets that we have and, uh, you know, it's sportsman's paradise and, and uh, a lot of good pro athletes from here and, and uh, just a lot of people from Shreveport that have, that are you know really doing big things around the world, and and and, and it's really pretty cool. Um, on the other hand, 
uh, in my view, uh, and I think most people who have been involved in the community have, would agree with this, is our biggest problem is one of collaboration. And uh, I remember a study done many years ago, uh, I believe sanctioned by the Committee 100, where um, a, a Boston-based uh, a consultant did a very thorough study, made a report, you know, and he'd been all over the country looking at cities and trying to tell us, you know, what we might do to make a, to, a plan for the city. And his comment was, uh, Shreveport has the most toxic civic environment that he had observed of any of the cities he had studied. And uh, he goes on to say, and I'm not, not quoting him well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because it's, it's been a while. But uh, he said, hey, everybody hates everybody in this town. And, uh, you know, it, and you, you do run into that uh, where, you know, well, I'd like to, like to get on board with that. But, you know, oh, you've got Joe Bob over here. He's involved. And, you know, I really you know, I don't like him too much. And, and uh, you know, we got sideways, you know, 20 years ago over, uh, you know, what color car he drives or something. So, uh, there is a, uh, uh, it's kind of like we don't necessarily have a crime problem. We have crime. The solution to the crime is we have a collaboration problem, uh, trying to get these silos uh, working together. And, of course, this is not something that, you know, oh, I, I had a piece of enlightenment tonight and woke up and went, aha, let me come tell Jeffrey, you know, this is pretty well known. Uh, the uh, uh, street port's pretty siloed up and um, trying to uh, bring these different uh, entities together to work collaboratively on a solution is challenging. And a uh, leader that can do that can turn this place into just, uh, or, or can, I say turn it, that's probably... Uh, as Tom Arsenault did say in his speech, this is not a speedboat, it's a battleship, you know, it turns slowly, but can, can uh, make a, a difference and take advantage of the assets that this city has in place. Uh, but until there is that um, air of collaboration and, look, we're going to put some of these old uh, disputes aside and we're going to pull, you know, we're going to all start rowing this boat together. Uh, until that happens, uh, that I think that we will continue to uh, to, to muddle along, and and uh, of course we're, we're I could tell you a number of things that are incredibly you'd probably tell me more about the uh, incredibly positive things that, that that are going on in this town, um, but uh, we could do we could be so much more, and we could do so much more uh, if we all would uh, put aside whatever those uh, differences are and, uh, and and collaborate what do you think what do you um, that's all fascinating and what do you think I mean what do you, what do you personally or just what do you what do you attribute those the creation of those silos to or why do you think they exist or what are those differences or just just what is your wisdom around that like why mm-hmm. why do they exist and how do we possibly break them? open and, and, and bring them more together? Well, um, I, I think one is, I don't believe Shreveport's the only place like that. I think that we are uniquely, we're small enough 
where you've probably had this experience where you um, meet somebody at a function and you've never seen them before and they've been here all their lives and uh, and you uh, you know have a nice conversation realize you know some common people and and then the next uh, day you're at the car wash on Burke Coons and they're sitting there and then they're at the line and at the waiting at Brookshires and running them at Starbucks and you know we're just big enough where you don't know anybody or, or you, you could not overlap you don't have any overlap with people and uh, yet small enough where you can't go anywhere or you sure can't do anything without people knowing about it you know if you were trying to do some nefarious activity so uh, you know not all cities are that size sure. that have uh, so um, I think that's part of it, but uh, some of it might go back to, uh, you know, they always say leadership. You know, it's about leadership. Well, who's, who is the leader? Who is the leadership at Shreveport? Is it the Committee 100? Is it the mayor? Is it uh, the black ministers? Is it, uh, you know, uh, I don't know who the leadership at Shreveport is, and uh, I don't think that's real clear. And it may go back to that plane crash in Wallace Lake back in the 50s, you know, where uh, mm-hmm. some of the uh, real leaders in this town, the... the uh, Atkins, Hargrove, and stuff. Yeah. The, uh, you know, one night, a whole plane load of them are, are killed in a plane crash. And, you know, there are some that, that theorize that it, you move forward from there, and, and, and that's... Uh, you know, we were the pipeline capital of the world once. And... Uh, and and then um, you know that uh, uh, that had to have had a, an adverse impact. But uh, in cities like Austin, Texas, where I heard uh, a speaker uh, speak talk about how they built. Of course, Austin had University of Texas and Texas state government. I mean, they, didn't, they had a few things going for them that Shreveport doesn't have, but. He was talking about how they turn things around, and the first thing you do is you get the wealthy families on board, and and he did that, and um, you know the wealthy families in the Shreveport in this area, um, not that I, uh, I'm certainly not a part of that circle, but uh, I know that some of them uh, don't necessarily uh, uh, collaborate, and um, so if there were a way to to bring those together. But I also know some of those wealthy families that have, uh, you know, anonymously given incredible amounts of money and supported things. And, and uh, so I don't want to be critical of uh, any of those families because of the things that they've done. But, um, you know, if you can't get your wealthy families in a community uh, working, pulling in the same direction, um, the, the, this uh, guy from Austin that spoke to the Committee 100 one day and, and talked about the significance of that uh, made me think that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's one of the challenging things. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that is true is that generation, regretfully, most of the guys, as I sit here and think, and I won't name any, but as I sit here and think of, of those people, most of them are now gone. And it's a new generation. And, uh, you know, it's like the daddies are now my peers. And uh, so, as I said a little while ago, uh, 
the great hope is that your generation will do a better job. Uh, and, and I see uh, uh, some of these uh, descendants, I might say, from some of these wealthy families around town seems to me that they're getting involved in doing uh, positive things. So, uh, you know, maybe there's, uh, uh, there's some hope there that, uh, you know, some of the, the bad blood from the past, uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys or whatever, whoever they were, uh, maybe some of those things have, uh, can be put to rest and everybody uh, start, you know, rowing the boat in the same direction. And just to follow along with that, my, my final question is just if you could, you know, talk about some of the things that make you optimistic as you look around uh, about our community's future. Well, there are some things that I'm uh, directly involved in. Uh, one is, and you're, you're familiar with this, community renewal. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I can't quote the Bible verse correctly, but uh, you know, a prophet in his hometown is is uh, is, is never given credit. And uh, you know, uh, you have guys like Mac McCarter, who uh, the Catholics uh, he gets the Opus Award. Uh, there's some whisper campaign right now about a Nobel Peace Prize, and and you know, uh, if they've just put a book out, hit Mac actually written. Max, Max Thoughts and Tim Mulden, who's a, uh, a professor at Boston College and is uh, used to be uh, very active in Catholic charities and a brilliant guy up in Boston. They've written a book uh, about building better communities. That uh, if, if everybody in Shreveport read this book, it's a little small book too. It's not like War and Peace. I'm about to read it. I hadn't read it. It's, I'm telling you, uh, I've been on their uh, advisory board. Uh, for many, many years, and uh, and they wouldn't mind me saying uh, they are one of the most frustrating organizations I've ever been engaged with. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you, they they also offer the most hope, and uh, and basically uh, the fundamental thing there is uh, the need for us to all care about one another. And uh, they have all their we care signs and their friendship houses and their haven houses. And uh, so you see a little pocket over here. And when I look at your chart on the wall over here, it's intriguing to me because I see all these different groups, uh, everybody doing their thing and, uh, and all of them doing, most of them doing good things. And I'm also on the community relations committee at First Methodist Church. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the effort that, that First Methodist does in this community is just absolutely amazing. And the nonprofits that, uh, that we support and just the day-to-day, you know, being a downtown church, the day-to-day activities of, of, uh, of being supportive. Uh, you know, there are things that's, that's going on right here in Shreveport and, um, and Community Renewal has been here for 27, 28 years. Amazing. Yeah. Everybody in the country, people from all over, uh, all over the world, you know, that they, uh, uh, Mac McCarter has uh, uh, guys from uh, uh, Ray Dalio with Bridgewater up in Connecticut, billionaire that's uh, uh, well known, uh, uh, paying attention. And I mean, uh, in Washington, D.C., you know, they're. Uh, if you saw the, the advisory board, the National Advisory Board, we had 
Zoom meetings, and I'm uh, I'm honored to, to sit on that. And I look around on, on the screen. Oh my gosh, what am I doing sitting here? We've got the former Secretary of the Navy, and and uh, I mean just uh, guys, the the president of Kansas City Southern, and and um, so there are people all around that are looking at what's going on in Shreveport, going, oh, you guys have the answer. Y'all have a model there that works for rebuilding community. And uh, <laughs> but you go around town here, you go, well, you know, community renewal, they uh, they they got some good ideas, but uh, they don't manage they do this very well. They don't do this very well, and you know, and I supported them for a while, and you know, and, and that kind of thing. Very very uh, uh, interesting uh, how that works. But uh, the uh, answer to your question is uh, those types of activities have been going on a long time takes a while to create problems and it takes a while to solve them and there are uh, a lot of, of uh, entities organizations you're familiar with the new one that's sort of a grassroots thing right now citizens united right that uh, is uh, really doing some smart things trying to first get a focus on what the issues are and properly define what the success look like uh, you know properly define the problem and rather than just dive in where people are already doing things, try to make a difference in, in uh, really, the, you know, the issue there is the crime problem uh, and try to tackle that. And so, you know, uh, people don't have to do that. I mean, these people can be out on their boats in the Virgin Islands or, you know, playing golf or doing whatever, and, and yet you see people uh, everybody gathering saying hey we care about one another and I care about you and uh, and we want this community to be to be a better place so um, I, the, the optimist in me says I, I think they will prevail and uh, I think this city will uh, will flourish and uh, you know it will, will be the shining city on the hill uh, you know but uh, uh, it takes time to do that but I think with our trajectory right now, certainly uh, in a uh, in a positive direction. And Tommy, is there any? This has all been wonderful. Is there anything else we didn't touch on, or anything else that you see or passionate about that you'd like to mention? Uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Well, I'm glad to do it, and uh, I hope this has been helpful. I can't think of anything I would add. Uh, <laughs> you know. The, uh, we, we talked about silos, we've talked about collaboration, and we've talked about the hope and uh, talked about the fact that we have problems. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I can't think of what I could say that would add to that. Uh, I'm thankful there's some people a lot smarter than me that are working the problem. Me too. <laughs> a lot <laughs> and, smarter than me. <laughs> and I, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to weigh in on it, and I, I hope it's been helpful. Thanks, Tommy. Really appreciate you being here. Right, thank you.